You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Well, Brendan, I, I have, it's not like I haven't asked you already, but what do you think about this limited format so far? Because for me, this looks like it might be potentially the best limited format we've ever had. It looks, it looks awesome. Mm. Well, keen to get your thoughts on what makes you want to make that call already. I think that from a design standpoint, it looks very cool. Dragons are cool. Uh, the illusionist is a is a great take on the class. I think we talked a bit. Uh, we talked a bit about the concept of this class actually back in. Uh, I think it was right after Monarch we were talking about this idea of like a summoner class that would utilize allies a bit more. And it looks like that that is just a uh, going to be a version of, of, of illusionist. So looks really cool. Uh, the ninja, of course, you know, ninja finally getting its really second talented hero or you know, first talented hero, but second ninja for class constructed. Really exciting. Um, and then of course the ice wizard, which we haven't seen a lot of yet, but I'm still, I'm still holding out hopes for that class. I'm very excited. It looks good. Yeah. So am I doing the intro? Like what's happening here? Yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> okay, cool. All right. I'll edit it out. I'm going to keep going. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I think it looks potentially very strong and constructed and limited. And on that note, this week is about limited as we gear up towards the calling in Vegas and Sydney that we'll both be attending and the world premiere, my world premiere being in 24 hours from now, basically, which is super exciting from when we record. Uh, hitting that Friday premiere for Uprising, pre-release coming up and then the imminent release of Uprising, which is going to lead us into a limited season. So this week we're diving into approaching a new limited format. We're going to be talking about, uh, you know, how to approach a new format as it is, things to look for, the tips and tricks, evaluating cards, building decks, draft versus sealed. And we're going to talk about Uprising in the context of Limited as well in preparation of our of our set review next week, Brendan. Take this as, I guess, a bit of a prelude to our set review as we talk through some of the mechanics and what we think so far of the three heroes for this Limited format. Yeah. But, Brendan, first, this week in Flesh and Blood, what have you been up to? Um, so, I actually, I didn't play any ProQuest. I didn't play any events. Um, just been testing yeah. Blitz. I had a bit of a busy week last week, so I couldn't travel on that Friday to go up on to Oklahoma on Saturday. So I know I talked a lot of smack about taking that the, the Oklahoma trophy, but it looks like I'm going to have to uh, snatch it from uh, snatch from them, the Team Covenant boys at the finals of this uh, this uprising or this Team Blitz event in Vegas. So I will get my chance, but unfortunately, I was not able to play Flesh and Blood this weekend. But did I, I did get more Blitz testing in? Um, I think that we had you know some ideas about the format, and m- for the most part, those are reinforced. Well. Uh, I did have to backtrack on some things. Yeah, Brendan, how good's Kasai? Uh, not still not that good. Uh, it's okay. I've uh, I've heard from a few people talking about its matchup into old him. I've seen it not be successful many times, uh, both from in our internal testing, but also watching the people that are specifically kind of pushing that uh, that strategy. I watched it not be successful live. I was watching like a Discord channel. So I still don't know if I believe in it. Is Kasai good? Is it an okay third deck? Like, is it an okay just like average deck you can put on the boot? Probably. Yeah, it's probably okay. The format slowed down quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I We just did a Patreon podcast uh, over the weekend and we talked about sort of, you know, the top six sort of seven decks in the format and Kasai is in there. And I think my testing and so far we're just playing games. I mean, I could say testing. To be honest, my preparation for the calling is more being playing games, which is not something I usually do, just trying to get reps in and understand the format and then some focus testing. But 
Yeah, playing against Kasai, playing against Kasai, definitely, you know, b- better than than I thought in terms of like, I think some of the more refined lists that we're seeing now as well, I think uh, are much improved and, and doing the sort of things that I'd want to do with, with Kasai and pushing breakpoints that are more relevant. So yeah, I, I think in terms of like, I expect to see Kasai this weekend and I, I don't think it's a it's a bad choice. I think it, it makes sense. Um Will we be playing it? No, I don't. I don't think it's going to be one of the three decks that we we sleeve up this weekend from myself, and I don't think either from from you, is it, Brendan? No, we're definitely not playing it. There's like two decks that could maybe be the third deck, um, and yeah, I, I don't know. It's really hard, like the the direction you take. I know we talked about this a lot in the the Patreon pod, but whether you want that third deck to be something that has very good matchups other than old him or you want something that has a particularly good matchup into old him and it's kind of average into everything else maybe struggles a bit against the aggro decks etc etc or not would work not one of our choices but you could pick that kasai that's kind of just has game into everything um i think we're gonna go for something that has a bit of game into old him and it's just sort of a an okay deck that being reinar yeah a bit more polarized at least polarizing mm-hmm. a bit more polarizing rather um my week in flesh and blood i did get to a pro quest uh so i played two pro quests this season one weekend before last and one this weekend just gone uh played dash the first one and then busted out the chainless that i was, was sort of been would have been my pt chainless if i had audible to to chain rather than to kano um and you know managed to go undefeated into the final uh split the final so that one of our locals could take the the invite and you know of course, I took the goal for it. Was what I was after, uh, and I got very lucky and uh, opened a Courage of Bladehold. So definitely cannot complain. Um, tell you what, I was I played a, a, a mirror in I think the quarterfinal or the mm-hmm. semifinal, a semifinal, and my opponent played like multiple shadow puppetries against me, and I was like, oh, yeah, I just reinforced how much I don't like that card. <laughs> don't like it. You think it's bad? Um, I think it's fine. I think it's fine. It's just I think it's less impressive than it used to be in chain. So it was just funny, just kind of reinforced it because I hadn't played a lot of. I didn't play chain in any event, uh, just in testing, so it was quite interesting. And then, yeah, likewise, just reps of blitz and, and getting games in and, and doing some testing, and kind of done now. Really, I've got uh, got editor Dave, who edits our gameplay video, staying with me at the moment. So I'm kind of done with testing. We're just hanging out and doing a few things over the next couple of days and nights, and then we've got uprising world premiere tomorrow, and then the calling. So looking forward to it. Yeah, I've got Vegas tomorrow. I'm excited. I'm flying out. Um, have a chill, yeah. chill Thursday, and then go play that. That uh, I'm super happy that we have these uh, world premieres nowadays. Before the set oh, reviews, cool. it makes the set reviews. Well, obviously, they're, yeah, they're really cool. They're really fun. But for the set reviews, it gives us a lot of context um, in terms of like what's good, what's not. I feel like we get a very good grasp of the format beforehand. Anyway, Hayden, it's a big week for the news. Obviously, Uprising has started its you know major spoilers. But um, outside of that, we got a few other things in the headline. Yeah, yeah. I mean, first of all, to start, as you say, Uprising preview season is in full swing. If you haven't been checking out the previews, I mean, where have you been hiding? You've been under a rock. So head to fabtcg.com. You can check out the card gallery. Uh, Discord, of course, the Flesh and Blood Discord uh, always has the previews up to date, hot to the minute as they come through, including a box break that just happened a few hours before we went live. So me and Brendan frantically been trying to catch up on the latest cards that have been previewed through this box break and um our preview went up the other day and I, as we said we weren't talking smack we have one of the best cards in the set if not the best card in the set in the form of crown of providence legendary generic equipment and what a thing it is go and check out our video our preview video is up on youtube you can find that and uh you know let us know what you think in the comments will you be playing crown of providence or are you a are you a skullcap truther <laughs> and Crown of Providence is going nowhere near your deck? I've, I've heard it's worse than Silver Palms, apparently. Crown so. of Providence is my litmus test for a good fab player. 
Um, I'm not going to say what the correct answer is, but uh, yeah, it's pretty funny. The there's a huge divide on this on this on this card, and I think that uh, I haven't had much of a di- divide in like this. I don't know the people that I test with, or so, nobody's really come at me. But like definitely online, I've seen some people that are very for it, and some people that are very against it. But um, yeah, I think the card is uh, it's not bad. Very strong effect. Elsewhere in the news, callings this weekend, as we say, will premiere. And, of course, today we're diving in on Uprising. With that as well, I'm going to be in Sydney, as I said. I'm going to pack some of these uh, Herald of Rebirths in my bag. So if you are coming to the Calling Sydney and you're keen on getting yourself one of these extended out foil Herald of Rebirths, come and say hello. Tell me tell me what you're enjoying about Uprising through the day on Friday. I'll have these on tomorrow with me on Friday. Tell me what, you know, how you're crushing people with your Uprising deck or you're learning the format or the cards you like. And I'll uh, hit you up with one of these Herald of Rebirths and I'll... I'll even have a play mat for uh, someone lucky on the day as well. So make sure to come and say hello in Sydney. And yeah, I mean, just looking forward to playing. I actually, I woke up this morning, Brendan, and I'm, I, the calling's whatever. I, I'm cool, can't wait. But this Uprising World Premiere, I'm actually like fizzing for. So <laughs> uh, yeah, can't wait. Elsewhere, uh, ProQuest Season 2 is wrapped up. Congratulations to all the winners and invitees for France. Uh, of course, XP rating cutoff was on sunday as well so we have all of our invites for lil if you made the cut congratulations i think those will be going up either i would assume by the end of the week or early next week uh, so that everyone confirms exactly where they finished up in those 90 day and lifetime xps and um, we say goodbye to star of the show and chain and good riddance brendan or maybe a shed a tear uh i mean i think it's gonna have more impact than uprising um these are like these were two very that's dom- a big call mm, i don't know these are two very very dominant heroes specifically star of the show kind of shut down a lot of the rest of the game design i think it has a chance to flourish now i'm slightly worried uh not really worried but i think there's going to be a big di- dichotomy between illusionist and guardian in the coming format we'll see how you know the new wizard and ninja play into that yep. but uh star of the show and chain rotating out is very exciting i think it's probably the most excited i've been for flesh and blood class constructed almost since uh its inception <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I mean, this is, I think this, I'm always like really hesitant to say because I think I got burned with how I thought Tales of Aria was going to play out. But the fact that we do see Chain leaving and, you know, the bands that impacted Viscerai and then of course, Star of the Show heading out, it does, I do agree with you. It feels like we're going to see the biggest shakeup because of Uprising and and the Living Legend uh, status as well. Like, could Fi be the kind of aggro deck that comes in to balance out some of the illusionist stuff or yeah it's gonna be super interesting to see can't wait to we get into road to national season and see what spice people come up with in week one uh, i'll definitely be in the lab in a few weeks time i imagine otherwise brendan uprising op season announcements were made last week as well we have some callings so mm-hmm. utrecht is back on for the 22nd of july and singapore is happening on august 20th both are hybrid formats draft and class constructed so allow people to prep for Pro Tour Lil, which is, I think, super exciting. I think it's a really cool idea to do. Um, you know, I've never really seen that in other games where they kind of have that split format at a, a level like this. Well, not not in Magic, I guess I'm, I'm looking off Magic. Like a split format was usually only reserved for PTs and Nationals. So, yeah, I'm glad that we get more of that because I think it's such a fun format to have split and also test the kind of skill across the two formats. I think, um, you know, I think that's a good thing for the game because I do think limited should be important. And, you know, we talked about that in the podcast a couple of weeks ago. I'm, uh, I'm pretty jealous of the people that are playing those callings. I think that it's fantastic preparation for that pro tour. Like, uh, I'm going to Singapore the week yeah. before, so I'm going to go via Singapore and then on my way to Lil. Yeah, 
I don't think anything else, uh, you know, you can do your internal testing, do your local testing, do draft camp, all that, but uh, going to a premier professional event where people are legitimately trying to win with that exact format before the Pro Tour, that's a big advantage. Um, so yeah, to close out here, I just want to say thank you to all the Arsenal Pass patrons. Saw a lot of support in the, uh, you know, since the Pro Tour, we came out with quite a few deck techs. We had the Kano deck tech, the Dash deck tech, and the Prism deck tech, which we had Tyler Horsepool join us for. We will be continuing that uh, throughout these competitive seasons, particularly, you know, reaching out to, I think, uh, established pro players that have an identity behind like a certain archetype or a class and having them come on um, and do, you know, a deck tech and just give out information, give out deck lists. I think that it was really successful. So again, thank you to Tyler Horsepool for coming on and we'll look to do it more in the future before that is going to be limited so we do have our limited set review and i'm sure hayden's going to come out with one of his patented um archetypes ar uh, limited archetypes videos or you know top five cards something something spicy so keep your eye out for that in the future always always okay brennan what's that smell oh, uh my nose i got a little <laughs> my nose a little clogged but uh, what's that Time for the Commander Cookout. Yes, sir. Uh, question this week comes from our very own Gotha from our community manager, The Shining Light, uh, that often will reply to your comments or be putting up our... He's our, he's our Twitter guy for Arsenal Pass. Um, got a question in this week. So, you know, I said, it's okay. We'll accept it. We'll take the question. Traditionally in tabletop card games, deckless are seen as the premier technology in the information race. A wrinkle in this, Flesh and Blood introduces a variety of game plan decisions on a macro level. A full blockout fatigue plan can be played with the same 60 to 80 cards as an all-out aggressive plan or a more tempo read-the-room plan. How much, oh, how much more or less important is the game plan versus a deck list? If you only have one, which would it be and why? I think this is a super great question. I think this is something that came up over the, the Pro Tour time as we saw a lot of deck lists that had some similarities, right, Brendan? But the, the play styles and, and the kind of game plans and the, the how people were playing into certain matchups was, was quite varied and only a couple of cards could change that, which uh, I thought was quite an interesting thing to, to note. Yeah, so there's a there's I was I was just this question here. If you had to pick one, which one you would you pick? I think that via like Arsenal Pass ideology, I should be saying game plan, but I would probably take deck list only because I remember when I was at uh, Orlando in Nationals, I kind of scrubbed out of Nationals and I went to the calling the next day and I asked Tarek for his deck list and that deck pretty much has one game plan and it, it was it was very effective. So I think if you have like a linear, a, a really strong linear aggressive deck, um, the deck list is enough because you do have sort of a singular game plan. That being said, you know, you take a chain deck or from this last ProQuest season and, you know, you go in there planning to just kind of aggro people down, run into a few fatigue matches and don't have a game plan for it. It's going to be a disaster. Same thing with things like Prism. You know, Prism has to adjust her game plans based on, you know, who she's playing against, whether it's you know, one of the Guardians, it's going to be one of the slower decks, it could be star of the show, or one of these hyper-aggressive decks that are kind of, um, you know, some of your bad masters have to change up how you play. So, yeah, I think it's a. I think that's a really interesting, interesting choice. But I would choose. I might choose decklist just because of the the recency bias to prevalent and uh, very successful linear aggressive decks. Yeah, I think it's an interesting question because one begets the other. I think a little bit in terms of it does definitely. less so in other games, but you know, like in terms of if you take the chain list that uh, Michael Hamilton played and was very similar to the list I played this previous weekend. Like it was re revolving around not breaking the the combat chain. Like just played lead the charges and play uh, shadow puppetries. Played void wraiths like more block threes and some extra blood debt that you could jam in there. And in terms of like 
the way that played out, the game plan was resulted in that deck list coming out. I guess that's kind of the, the deck list was the product of that game plan to an extent. And sometimes it can go vice versa, right? So they're, they're always going to go somewhat hand in hand. But I think if, if at the sort of like higher level, maybe you say callings, pro tours, whatever it might be, I think the game plans are more important because I think you can do pretty well with a reasonably refined deck list and mm. really, really good plans. I think you will struggle with the most refined deck list if you don't even know what your game plans I are agree. heading into stuff. Yeah. So I, I would, I'm going to, I'll flip you. I'll say the other side, but I agree. It's, it's actually pretty close. Although I think it ebbs and flows as we go through flesh and blood. And like I say, it really depends on where we probably are in the cycle of the um, meta as well. So early on, I think deck lists are like king, right? But I think as you get into the the meta, I think uh, I think game plans become more important, to be honest. Yeah, and I agree with you as well. Um, a good example of a deck that uh, is, I guess, a good deck list, but is useless without a game plan is the Kano deck. That deck is... It has very, very below average uh, turn cycles if you are playing a fair game and not the combo. So, yeah, definitely one leads yeah, one leads into another for sure. Um, but an interesting concept is try to figure out you know, which one you might you might pick. Yeah, awesome question there from, from Gotha. And I think that's going to continue to be an important piece. I mean, I think for us, we think both are important and that's why we do deckless and we do the full deck guide and cyber plan and everything. Talk about matchups because... I think one without the other is kind of often not enough and, and makes no sense. So, um, you know, that's why even in our deck tech videos, we try and talk about what the key game plans are and what the core of this deck and what the ethos is are trying to do with the game plans. So, yeah, I think really interesting. If you do want to get your question in for the Commander Cookout, you can drop those to us in an email, arsenalpassfab at gmail.com. Uh, tweet at us, direct message us. You can drop them in our Discord if you're part of the community Discord, our patrons Discord. Or, you know, drop them to Brendan at Las Vegas if you want to. Whatever you want to do. Get your questions in for the Commander Cookout. All right, Brendan, we're going to go on to, I guess, the first part of our main topic, which is preparing, I guess, approaching a new limited format. But first of all, I want to set the stage for what is our limited review next week and also the fact that we are approaching the Uprising limited format. So let's look at some of the Uprising previews so far, I guess, in terms of the previous season. I want to focus more on limited here, but we can talk a little bit about Constructed, of course. And just talk a little bit about, I guess, from, first of all, let's start from a, a macro level. And then let's talk a little bit about some of the specifics and stuff that are in the set as well. Maybe a couple of cards. But um, what have we seen so far, Brennan? Well, we started off, of course, seeing the Wizard Ice cards, the um, Icelander cards mm -hmm. early on. We got the early spoilers there. Really interesting, right? And, of course, we saw the first dragon. Uh, from then, we've, the previous season has been a lot about Draconic to start with and uh, Illusionist up front and then Ninja over the past day or so. And then we've now seen some more cards across all three classes, um, across all three of the heroes with this box break that's just happened and we've tried to catch up with some of these cards. We know there's generics in the set. We know there's, of course, the talented Draconic cards. There's Ice cards in the set. So the set looks really interesting and well-rounded, which is kind of the first thing I take away. I want to talk through some of the mechanics, Brendan, and uh, I've, I, I'm going to talk, say what they are, and then I want to just hear your opinion on what you think about these mechanics in the context of, I guess, limited, but also the game as, as it is, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of constructed as well. So uh, the first one we've got is Quell. So Quell is a, a, a keyword ability on on equipment, and uh, it says if your hero would be dealt, so you have Quell one, as we have, we have Quell one. If your hero would be dealt damage, you may pay one to prevent one of that damage. If you do, destroy x equipment so i'm looking at heat wave in particular which is the draconic ninja equipment arms mm -hmm. uh, destroy heat wave at the beginning of your end phase so effectively you can pay one 
across multiple sources until end of the turn to prevent a damage and then it's going to blow up in your face. Yeah, so I mean, I, I see this, what this jumps out to me as is your way to deal with arcane damage in this format. Obviously, the use case is far extends past that. It's like different than Null Rune and uh, Spell Void. Physical damage particular. as well, yeah. Yeah, and so it, it extends the physical damage. So those break points on hit triggers, like I think that these armor, like these pieces of armor, I, th I feel like are going to be quite premium. Um, like one thing that I'm taking away from looking at these early spoilers, obviously that we could get spoiled a, a bunch of generic equipment or something like that, but I'm getting a similar feeling to Tales of Aria level armor, right? Where like, I'm probably going to be first picking these most of the time. They look generic, you know, they look generally powerful and especially these sort of uh, keywords, like you said, like Quell 1, things like that seem just, you're going to want to have it, right? Yeah, so funny. Uh, when you say the power level of like a set and first picking, like Tales of Aria is not the set that comes to my mind. It's like the one that comes last. It's like Monarch and Welcome to Wraith of the and, and Arcane Rising. I have equipment way higher, but we've talked about this before. So yeah, I I'll think it's on. it's yeah. more um it's more like the choice, right? Like with Tales of Aria equipment, it usually doesn't compete with too much else. So um I feel like you're 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 kind of snap picking like the uh, the plume of Evergross or the deep blues and like that stuff much faster than I would be in something like welcome to Wraith where I might stay open for a bit longer and sure. you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I, I think these cards, these equipment have a lot of utility because they all have activated abilities as well. And the cool thing about these is there are instant abilities that you can use. So you can like activate quell and then you can use the instant ability on some of them, not all of them, sorry, some of them, and then also get the effect. Like I looked at the ice one today, which is like, you can destroy a frozen card in Arsenal by just like at instant speed by destroying it, but also has quell. So you can like quell a couple of times and then play a blue card out of your uh, Arsenal DL Arcane damage with uh, Icelander to trigger the condition of being able to destroy this equipment and then destroy the frozen card in Arsenal. So there's some interesting things there. And then some are just like quell and you won't be able to get both parts of the, the ability. Like the, I was just looking at the ninja ones, which is like you have to destroy it as part of the instant ability that isn't quell. So you know, uh, kind of goes hand in hand. But there is some damage that can come through on your turn, of course, like the arcane damage, like um, damage from attacking things. So, you know, you can sometimes get value out of both. Anyway, aside from that, Quell, I think, is interesting. The equipment piece, yeah, I agree. I think these are going to be premium. They're, they're, utility is really high because um, you also have, you know, the Ash Wings and Draconic Chain Links. So Quell is probably, you know, if you pitch a blue to Quell, very likely you're going to be able to get the full use out of it into a lot of things in this format, which is really interesting. Uh, interestingly, Arcane Damage might be the least sort of return on your investment, I guess, because there might only be one or two sources in a turn that come at you. So Quell might end, actually end up being more relevant or more impactful against these uh, draconic cards that have higher chain links. Seems quite good for uh, pivot turns, like combating pivot turns. I, so like Monarch in particular is a format I feel like was, or at least Monarch Shield was centered around like, you know, setting up for kind of one big pivot turn where you would gain an advantage where you could usually hold it throughout the rest of the game. Um, and I think that Quell is, is interesting as a permanent on the battlefield that is going to actively combat like sort of a more all-in strategy on a single turn or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and also you can do cool things like, oh, they've come in with a four attack that has an on-hit effect and breakpoint. Well, I block with a three-card quell one, and then I've still got, you know, my blue two yeah. resources for the next two chain links or whatever to still soak up some some just kind of incidental damage. So, yeah, really cool. Don't want to dwell on too long, but I want to start with quell because I think it's the most interesting and probably one of the most impactful in terms of, like, the limited mechanic. Yeah, definitely definitely have... shouldn't. Sorry, I have to do this, but we, we uh, let's go ahead and head on to the next one. I want to quell on it too long, you know? You said dwell like a chump, and I was just like, Dude. yeah, of course. Well, of course, of course, classic. Dragons, we've got dragons. These look, I mean, the Marvels look sick, but even just like the regular cards look freaking awesome. So, uh, of course, we have dragons that transform in the form of the invoke cards. So, they're flip cards. You have the spell that invokes, and then you turn your 
ether um sorry your ash into this mm-hmm. and then the ash goes under so that these dragons do have phantasm which is important to remember and then you have the the transform card which have these abilities um of course with dramai if you uh, played a red card you've got go again and then the weapon allows you to attack with these dragons itself so that's kind of the interaction you have there i think these are really interesting i think this is going to shake up the way that people approach both limited and constructed i think this is going to take a little bit of adapting to personally just in terms of you know we've had permanents before we've had allies in the form of legendary ones but i think this is going to change up a little bit about how we play this game and how the play patterns and some of the intuitive stuff that maybe you've learned in other formats might not work exactly how you think it should yeah the, <laughs> the dragon the dragon uh sort of the dragon design space is very new so it's hard to really wrap your mind like for me it's hard to sort of wrap my mind around especially how it work in limited but uh you're right like this this interaction is I'm not really sure. Like I, I'm trying to say, I'm trying to think of like, um, I guess I'm trying to round it out by coming up with a cohesive idea. But how dragons you are going to, to play? Yeah, how dragons are going to play into the uh, the draconic ninja and ultimately into Icelander, which is sort of that third variable here that's going to play quite a quite atypically compared to um, both the illusionist uh, and the ninja. I'm just not totally sure how they fit in. Obviously, they're going to be good, but which ones? What? Do, what? Do, what are you? What are you looking for? Like, what dragon is like the bomb? Which one do you want to open um, in oh, particular? I, I I really like um, Ovia. Yes, Ovia, which is yeah. the one that when it enters the play, enters play, or study your turn, turns an ash into a eighth ash ring. I think that's just like a really good threat that has six health. Yeah, it only attacks for one, but it strikes me as this way to like generate board advantage and turn. You know, it's a good. I think the transform cards, the cards that actually transform your um, ash into aether wings, into the I'm struggling with these names, so many new names. Uh, I think that's going to be harder to come by. And then, of course, they have phantasm. So if you give it the plus three, and then they maybe it doesn't look like there's many poppers, but maybe if they pop it, then you've kind of lost value. This kind of onboard way to continue to do it, when of course you can generate uh, ash with your hero anyway, plus other cards. I think it looks really strong to me. It's the one yeah. I'm I'm looking out for the most. I think. Yeah, and. I agree with you for a while. That's good. I'm looking at like Necria in limited, to be honest, at rare. Um, but Necria, when it deals or is dealt damage, put a minus one counter and create an ash token. It's just a bit persistent, right? A bit harder to get off the board. Um, and it do, does come in for four. So it looks particularly good. There are some, what's cool about these dragons, and this is more of a class constructed thing. There's a lot of these sort of niche ones, right? The ones that put minus one, one counters on things, you know, are milling the top of your deck to do damage, um, blowing up equipment, like all kinds of stuff going on here. It's so cool, yeah. And the fact they're at rare, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna see them. Um, and the fact that the way they interact with Iceland is interesting to me because, of course, you can't throw arcane damage that says hero at it. It has to be able to deal damage to a source or a, sorry to a target, which we do have in the set. So it's mm-hmm. not like we don't have it, but yeah, just worth keeping in mind, especially for constructed as well. You know, you can't Voltic Bolter a dragon. Um, Ward, really interesting. So Ward is a new keyword which effectively gives your um, your aether ashwing the ability to protect you from damage so i'm going to read out sand cover which is kind of the mm-hmm. the first one we saw so it says <clears throat> so zero cost draconic illusionist instant target ash control gains ward four until the end of turn so if your hero would be dealt damage prevent four of that damage and destroy this so you destroy the uh the ash sorry it's not the the ashwing it's the it's just the ash yeah uh, you destroy the ash and prevent four damage from a source so it kind of turns your aether ashwing into an enchanting melody effectively oh, sorry your ash not Aether Ashwing, into an enchanting melody effectively. So this, I think this is going to be really interesting, this ward mechanic. Again, this feels like another way to interact with arcane damage. I love that we don't see arcane barrier in this format, and instead we see all these other ways, or even spell void, 
all these other ways to interact with arcane damage to interact with the incidental damage that comes from certain cards uh, in this format. Yeah, and important to note that this is an instant as well, but yeah, Ward 4, so again, like you said, dealing with arcane damage, but also having that dual utility of being able to affect, um, you know, attacks with physical damage as well. So not really, like, it's cool that they've developed cards here that are helping you deal with the sort of uninteractive deck in the format, which will probably be wizard and limited, right? But these cards have dual utility for also being playable in your mirrors or against the ninja. Um, I think it's, it's, yeah, it's genuinely a, probably a more interesting way of doing it than something like Arcane Barrier or, you know, Spell Void, which came in the Blitz decks. Yep, I couldn't agree more, to be honest. And then, of course, we have the the Phoenix Flames, which is, you know, this is the Draconic Action Attack. This is the one you can add up to three Phoenix Flames to your deck in Uprising Limited Format. This is what James White spoiled or, pre, I guess, kind of, like, teased at uh, the banquet at the Pro Tour. You know, that you'll be able to add cards from your deck that are, that aren't you know, crack baubles before the game starts. And this is what Phoenix Flame does. So, uh, and Fire lets you start with one in your graveyard. And Phoenix Flames is a zero cost uh, Draconic attack for zero. And it says, if you control two or more Draconic Chain Links, Phoenix Flame has plus one and go again. So this is how you're going to generate these higher Draconic uh, Chains to trigger the abilities, to trigger things like Rupture. Uh, this is the kind of key of what Fire is trying to do. And of course, you can start with one in your graveyard in Limited, and then you could start with two in your deck if you want. I think the interesting question is, how many do you want? How many do you start with? Is it just the full three every time? Or is it like, uh, sometimes you always you always start with the one in Graveyard, of course, but then sometimes you only want one in the deck. But that's going to be interesting to me. That is particularly interesting. So as the three of, you know, obviously doesn't have a, a blocking value. So that's going to probably affect your ability to, uh, particularly in the mirror, I could see that being quite punishing, right? You know, getting those at the wrong time. But we have a lot of other effects allowing to us to, you know, take it out of our deck, put it in our hand, recur it from the graveyard, et cetera, et cetera. So I feel like, uh, you know, as it seems like as a Draconic Ninja, you are going to be playing very long chain links, and that's sort of your goal. Definitely, definitely your goal, right? So this is, this is the one that's going to generate it. And I've got some spice to talk about once we get into the kind of, we want to talk about a bit of uprising, um, and how we're going to approach this format to start mm -hmm. with at the end because I, spoiler alert, I think the second cycle is actually going to be relevant, Brendan, but we'll, oh, we'll talk about that as we get in. I know, I know, I don't want to get people's hopes up, but I think the second cycle is going to be relevant. So. <laughs> uh, next, I want to talk about afflictions. So afflictions are auras that come into play under the opponent's control. So it says an affliction enters the arena under an opposing hero's control. That's what affliction does. And uh, we have these, these new auras and ice that afflict afflict and so you know i've got hypothermia which is a majestic but just to read that out uh it's a zero cost two defense ice action affliction aura and it says attacks you control can't gain go again so that applies to the opponent that you put it under and at the beginning of the end phase destroy hypothermia so uh, these are really interesting to me and i'm glad that we've got finally got this kind of like negative aura come into the game yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, frost hacks in particular also very interesting, you know, doing doing damage uh equal to the number of frostbite tokens. Like I'm interested in limited so we have hypothermia, right? So our I'm just trying to realize if all these afflictions are at higher rarities. Yeah, are they all at majestic? Yeah. So far from what we've seen, I, I I haven't been able to scroll through everything from the box break today, but I hadn't seen any so far. It looks like the afflictions I've seen so far are um are majestic, yeah. So. Okay, interesting. Yeah. And the way to interact with the afflictions, like if you become the afflicted player, obviously there's the card that's uh, Thaw, I think it is. Like what other ways are there to interact? Like if you do get hit by one of these Unlimited, how do you get it off? I don't think we've seen so far. Uh, I think Thaw is the only one which of course can destroy an affliction. Uh, or it can unfreeze a card, which uh, we'll move on to next. Freeze is the mechanic which sticks something in place. 
So um, Cold Snap is, is what we've seen so far, one of the cards, which is a, we've seen the blue version, one cost. Target hero may pay one resource. If they don't, freeze a card in their arsenal or an ally they control until the start of your next turn. And a frozen object can't be played or attacked. So you can basically hold a card in arsenal for a turn, stop an ally from being able to do anything for a turn. I think freeze is a really interesting mechanic as well. I just love the interaction we're seeing with like the board state start to develop through flesh and blood. Yeah, and giving you a lot of choices as well as maybe you know playing the deck that's not the aggressor, right? I hate to say pivot turns again, but cycling going back to that sort of monarch format, it was very noticeable as people sort of came around to that specific turn and being able to interact with that rather than just blocking with the cards from your hand or saving your armor while you could. Um, like that's much more exciting. So I, I, I'm also uh, you know very keen on this uh, these abilities. Yeah, yeah. Likewise, I think it's really cool to see. So. We want to move through because we've got a lot to cover in this kind of approaching a new limited format cast and as we prep Uprising. But there are a couple of things I do just want to get your thoughts on. Maybe a bit of like a, a minute summary of the set so far, of your thoughts of the set so far and the preview season so far. What do you think about the classes so far? What do you think about the heroes? And um, maybe what's your what's your favorite card or what have you kind of got an eye on for maybe what you want to play heading into maybe like the constructed season? Yeah, for sure. So it's interesting because particularly for me um i'm thinking about the world premiere right and my world premiere is actually going to happen a bit later than yours so i'm gonna there's gonna be some information that's come out yeah people played those rounds um after this by the way don't let us don't let me forget i do want to talk about sort of like the the general strategy you should be taking and pitfalls that we've seen in previous formats in the early days don't worry we're we're getting to that because people i know people are going to do that and that's actually probably one of my motivations to potentially play uh like i'm really looking at draconic ninja just something that's aggressive um just like in the opponent's face and like if someone's trying to do something cute with dragons or play wizard um just just punish them right yeah like that's that's it's like if you go to play uh, like a magic reference, you're gonna play vintage cube. You know what you're doing. You can just draft mono red. You're probably gonna be sitting a lot more pretty than if you try to draft a, a like a blue white control deck. Um, so I, I think agree, it like baby. yeah yeah. <laughs> so I think it like you know like a world premiere state. I'm really looking at uh, at Phi here, uh, but at the same time, I might be drawn into the the draconic illusionist. Um, I think a lot of people are gonna be forcing are gonna be forcing illusionist. I think that the the yeah. general sentiment is that like that's the coolest hero. It looks fun. Yeah, it looks super fun. Well, Absolutely. We we can talk more about, I guess, the Uprising World Premiere and kind of the this new limited format. But what about just from like overall standpoint of the set for what it's going to do for Flesh and Blood and maybe Constructed? Like, how do you how are you feeling? What mm. what, what heroes got you most excited for Constructed? Is it is it Icelander? Because of course you, you talked a lot about that hero. Yes. No. It's it's Jermai. Like I I think the Jermai is like be. yeah. I think that yeah. It's probably a common sentiment to be honest. But uh. Like seriously, we like we, I brought I brought up this specific idea for a class, and we called it a, a summoner in this like expansion on the ally mechanic, and I I think it's awesome, right? And they've totally blown it out of the water with um, the design of these dragons, way more depth than I would have expected. Um, and who would have thought? Yeah, and I think this deck, uh, like, we're getting some hints too, right? Like, this deck might be able to attack on multiple axes, right? It looks like an aggressive deck. It looks like in a like a, you know red line, aggressive. But you know, you look at some of these um, some of these dragons like Uvia, right? And there's like a potentially like a control deck there, not necessarily like a control that's just going to lock uh, decks out no matter what they're playing against. But if you're playing against Guardian or something, if you're landing two dragons a turn, 
maybe that's enough to bring them behind on tempo because they can't effectively clear two. And if they do, you know, reach parity up with you by clearing two while you make two, it may be so costly to them that's just not worth it. So potentially you're like defending and you're building up this like critical mass of dragons and then you eventually are able to come in or something like that. But uh, yeah, face value of, of Dramai, I think, is, is an aggressive deck, but I think that... Um, Potentially, there's another deck there, and that has me very excited for constructed and things like that. Yep. Yeah, similar wavelength. I think. I mean, it's hard not to be excited about Dramai and dragons and transforming Ash into dragons. So uh, it's definitely what what I'm looking forward to the most. And I think probably, you know, I would like to explore fire. I think you know, Ninja is something I, I like. I like chain links. I like being able to ramp up the damage. So mm-hmm. also really interesting to me. I want to move on next to approaching a new limited format and I guess a bit of an overview. I'm going to speak a little bit more loosely about Uprising as we get through this, but first of all, I want to start with like some tips and tricks where we think you should start and where we start when it comes to a new limited format, what are the things we're looking for and just some key things to keep in mind and remember. And Brennan, you've got some experience of this from the last Uprising World Premiere. Of course, you know, we've got our pre-release experience and our time spent with like Monarch and stuff in particular. So I guess where to start with a new limited format. I think one of the most important things to, to do to start with, and, and Brennan, you know, ch- chime in if you think I'm wrong or you got other things, but I think identifying archetypes is quite important to a degree. And I don't I don't mean that you need these like fully fleshed out archetypes, but I think you want to have an idea of what you want to do in the game. And this kind of comes back to like, what are your win conditions? How are you going to win the game? And each of these heroes, you know, as we play these more complicated sets, I think you can you can fluff stuff. You can like, you can mislay your cards you can put the wrong cards in because you don't really quite have an idea of what you're trying to do and you just kind of like fumble through it until maybe you get to round five or round six however many rounds it is and then you finally go like ah like these these things work well together and then it kind of clicks like if you can kind of stand back when you're building your deck and think about these kind of key interactions like even if it's two three four like key interactions or what you want to do on the ideal best term with like your uh, draconic chain links or whatever i think it's a really good place to start when it comes to a new new limited format i think it's going to give you the best sort of start once you head into your you know your round one yeah so if you're playing a um a world premiere most of the people it might be region dependent but if you're going to vegas this will probably be most people most people are going to play pile so what that means is they're going to get all their cards together and it might be because they want to play uh, Dramai or they want to play Wizard or they want to play Ninja and they're just going to throw them all in. It's like, ugh, yeah, they don't know, like they don't want to make the, the decision or what becomes really popular, maybe it'll be less so because we have Illusionist, Ninja, and Wizard, which, but is for people to just put in all of their blocking cards, particularly their cards that block for, you know, three or more and then just try to fatigue. So Hayden, you mentioned you mentioned game plans, understand how you're going to win the game. I think that that is, if you're not doing that strategy, which I highly recommend against, you need to understand how you're going to beat that strategy because it's going to be there. Uh, people love doing that strategy. Uh, we saw it in the Tales of Aria world premiere, but we also saw it back in Monarch. In Monarch pre-releases, you know, people are playing Prison Pile. They pile stuff together and just try to fatigue these uh, these shadow decks. So, yeah, it will be. Yeah, at the calling as well. So it will it will be there. So I think you need to identify the archetypes that you can, but also just identify how your deck is trying to win the game, right? Um, like, what is your core strategy? What are you playing to? Maybe you're reaching the second cycle of the deck, that mythical place. But um, yeah, you just need some oh. sort of key interaction of uh, how you actually plan to reduce your opponent's life total to zero. Because just playing the game and just playing out your cards uh, sort of indiscriminately likely will not lead to that. Yeah, we need some specific strategies once we get to uh, talk about Uprising in particular. But I think there's a there's a few kind of low-hanging fruit and some uh, some interesting things that might come up second cycle heard you mention i think it's coming up we'll talk about it uh yeah so identifying strong cards i think is a really good place to start so like what is a really good return on your investment like 
think about just as a quick example, you know, you, you want red cards in the Draconic decks. Obviously, that's what's going to power up your hero abilities. That's what's going, you know, you're going to be using to pitch for these triggered abilities and, and playing out for, you know, Fi in that case and also pitching for, for Dramai. So what are the extra strong cards and like what do they look like? What are their payoffs and stuff? And these are the kind of things you're looking for. So like cards like Rupture, for instance, that require four or more uh, Draconic Train Links. These cards look really good, right? But reliably, how often can your deck get to that? And uh, how many of these cards do you want? So, you know, these cards might look strong on the surface of it, but like what's the kind of like investment you have in this upfront? So I think it's really important to to think about what these cards actually look like. And some of these cards that are, you know, like medium strong, just good solid attacks, often still really good, even in a format that has a lot of synergy like this. So worth looking at. Um, identifying ways to win the game, as you say, really important. Like you say, Brennan, you know, how are you going to beat the, the pile deck that shows up? Uh, especially if you're playing Fire, I think it's a particular importance to understand what you're going to do there. And uh, hey, we'll talk about Second Cycle soon, but I think that's a good way to do it. Um, and what is the speed of the format? I think it's really important to understand because that's going to dictate, I think, which of these kind of strategies you get on board. Um, it's hard to know maybe until like the first couple of rounds, like what the speed of the format is going to be, even until we get, you know, to pass pre-release into the actual format itself. But if you can try and understand as much as possible, you know, Tales for, Tales of Aria, for example, you basically never saw your second cycle, right? Outside of these Ultim piles and these Ultim games that you're talking about, Brendan. So mm-hmm. even then, not always. So, uh, you know, whereas Monarch, you, you very often did see your second cycle as a very different format. So this will always influence the type of decks you want to build, I think, and where you want to start with your your power lines. Like are they, thing, you know, you want to get all the power out there early and just get as much damage on the board or are you trying to eke every point of damage out in the mid to late game um, these are quite interesting and then uh, respect equipment that's my last tip Brennan respect equipment both from in terms of your equipment and your opponent's equipment and understanding the power of them because I actually think the equipment in the set from what I've seen so far is probably the most powerful equipment we've seen so far but you know could be wrong I think it's important to try to understand what the average block value of the set is um, we haven't seen all the generics yet but uh, uh that's that's really where the set gets its blocking identity i feel like is like once you get to the generics it's like if all the generics block for two the set on average i guess kind of has a lower blocking value something like welcome to wraith but you know that that changes like um it'll change your breakpoints like it'll change critical breakpoints and it will you know you can really structure your turns around okay my opponent's at my opponent's likely block value in hand is is actually not going to be 12 it's highly unlikely to be 12 um significantly changes things it changes your ability to get fatigued in a lot of these matches but i think that time will have to tell in terms of like once we actually see the entire set whether you know whether these generics are blocking for three or if there's a class that has an unusual amount of block threes compared to the others i mean looking at the ninja uh, they actually do have quite a few block threes and block twos as well. Wizard obviously coming in with uh, quite a bit of the block twos looking at here at common. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I think that, but those generics are a big, uh, like that's that's a big narrative for the set. It's like once you see how much that they're yeah. going to block for on average. Yeah, we've seen some with some of the, the cards shown today. And, and of course, you know, with generics, as you'd expect, there's a lot of defense twos. That's just what you'd expect with generics. Um, and non-attack auctions, of course, you often see uh, defend twos but there, there is defense threes and generic there looks like there's a couple um, and of course you have them within both the class and the talent i think the other interesting thing that kind of skews it is you have cards like phoenix flame and um these sorts of things which kind of change the math on the average block value and people trying to play a lot of reds for draconic or maybe a lot of blues for icelander where do yellows fall that's what's gonna be really interesting for me about mm. the set is where do what is the place of a yellow in this format and of course um we have a lot more reds than usual because of draconic we have red only cards uh, in draconic so you know what does that actually mean for the set there's so many questions i have about the set mm. but i think just um just understand those uh, we came from equipment how do we we get to here but yeah uh, <laughs> right because you, you said about you, yeah of course yeah i think it's important do you think that um do you think 
if you're playing this limited set, do you think that if you are playing like Fi, you're playing Dramai, and you end up getting in, you know, in sealed, getting paired against a uh, an Icelander, do you think that you increase the blue count of your deck at all? Yeah, maybe that's something that's gonna be. That might be the place of yellows, right? That might be where yellows you still get the power level, but you get the ability to play for pay for frostbites and still be able to play a card out of hand or whatever it might be. I think you're gonna still want blues, and we'll talk about each of the heroes and what I think starting ratios might look like once we get into the heroes. But yeah, I think it's I think it's gonna be uh, a potential cyber plan is to have a couple more blues, but we'll we'll see how it goes. All right, Brendan, I want to talk about sealed tips specifically, um, and then a, a couple of draft tips as well. We can kind of just go through these and then get on to talking about, I guess uprising in the limited context but i think one of the, the best places is because we are going to be playing sealed first look at your thickest pile first just start with it and just see what it looks like like start with the most cards and see is that where the power level is especially if maybe sealed is newer to you or you're you, you're really worried about having to read all the cards and stuff like start with your thickest pile and see what you've got there um break it into into the three heroes generic and the talent is what you want to do so you should have i guess in the seat you should have six piles because we've got ice draconic generic and then the three heroes um, break it down that way should be easier to look at it that way as well and evaluate your cards that way and um, as we always say pull out your win conditions what are the cards that are going to help you win the game i'm looking personally for like good synergy uh, ways to maybe abuse something like a weapon or uh, a specific interaction multiple times of course when we have things like you know like uvia for instance like how can i like abuse that card like i want to keep that card around as long as possible have i got ward to pre- yeah, i'm sorry not ward. have i got ways to to protect it i think there's some prevention in the set that we might have seen um, or is there a way that I can like have I got multiple? I don't know. What what can I do about that card? Um, or maybe a weapon in the case of of fire maybe. Um, and then what are the cards that are going to give you a big swing turn? I think about cards like V the Vanguard, right? These cards that can be a pivot in themselves, or cards that set up a big pivot turn. So it's kind of what I'm looking for in sealed. Anything else, Brendan, well, in terms of sealed tips? Yeah, I just want to say if you're coming from you know another game. Uh, like one thing to know is when you're opening your packs and you're sort of you know you're splitting them like Hayden said, your your majestics to your rares are not really going to drive where you end up playing. Like there might be some standouts, and this has been more of an outlier than I think that it's been consistent in Flesh and Blood with like something like Via the Vanguard, which is particularly powerful. But mostly you're going for density, right? You're looking for cohesion and like synergy between your cards rather than you're like I have a single bomb because those for the most part, don't exist. Um, in Tales of War, we saw it a little bit, maybe with like Awakening. Awakening was pretty powerful and sealed. Uh, but outside of that, I think that absolutely like density and cohesion is way more important than any sort of rare, majestic, etc. Yeah, I have the kind of last point on my tips list is I personally rather have a consistent deck than a spike deck. So, you know, the deck that can spike a turn. And that's basically what you're saying, Brendan. I'd rather have the consistency and the synergy. I'd rather have a deck that has like really good resource base and slightly less power than a deck with, you know, a higher power level, but an inconsistent resource base, which is going to cost me, um, I think, especially early on in a format when it's it's unknown what the format looks like. Maybe in a format like Tales of Aria, I might have taken the gamble more, but uh, yeah, I'm not so sure in this format. So what i'll say about sealed what about draft maybe a couple of draft tips people are going to be doing some drafts over the next few weeks maybe with like prize packs or once we hit like pre-release because you can do drafts at the pre-release this time which is super exciting i think my local pre-release is doing a, a sealed maybe into a top eight draft or, or something like that so i'm um, excited to have draft at pre-release i think one of the first things brendan is uh, i like to do is what's going to be underdrafted that's where i kind of want to start you know mm-hmm. i think Early on, illusionist might be overdrafted because people really want to play with these dragons and definitely you know i might be looking at even just 
Icelander, just stay away from Draconic entirely or take the Draconic like talent cards early, let all these illusionist cards go around and then wheel all the ninja cards and have this good fire deck. That might be something I'm looking to do. So try and, I think always, no matter what the limited format, always try and uh, identify what might be undrafted. I remember in, in Monarch, Brendan, right? Like people were staying away from Shadow initially. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think rightly so too, because it was uh, it was much more punishing to play than uh, some of its lights variants. But I think if you're going into a draft format for any new set in Flesh and Blood or most new sets, don't underappreciate armor. I know that we probably overappreciate it on this podcast, but that has been like a critical failure of a lot of people going into new limited sets in, in Flesh and Blood has been just underdrafting armor, letting it go by, not realizing sort of the power level of that permanent on the board. And it is incredibly powerful, and that's that's consistent across most sets. Um, but some in particular, I think that armor, you know, you can get some really first pickable armor, like things like Plume of Vandergrowth, Deep Blue, etc. Cross Strap, Glyph Gauntlet, mm -hmm. uh, most equipment. <laughs> I, I kind of think most equipment is first pickable um, for a couple of reasons. It's like the strength of them, this thing that starts on the board. Like if you take Glyph Gauntlet, for instance, it's like, okay, here starting on the board is like 10% of the opponent's life total. Brilliant. That's exactly like that's exactly what I want. <laughs> or you know, it's like deep blue. It's like this Im impactful effect that's always going to get me out of an awkward hand um, once in the game, and it starts on the, the table. So yeah, these are the things I'm looking at. I think Quail, like we say, is powerful. I think the class and the generic equipment all look pretty good from what I've seen so far. Um, also, what the like the generic equipment allows you to do is, is stay open, right? And I think that's another thing when it comes to drafters. Have a plan, and one of those plans you might have is to stay open. Uh, you know, like. Maybe I'm looking towards like the Draconic cards or the generic equipment or the generics uh, early on. Um, but I would say if you are planning to stay open, like that's your kind of plan you're on for the draft, don't be afraid to like hedge really strong cards. Like if, you know, like a bonkers fire card comes around third pick, that could be a signal, right? Because two people haven't taken it before you pick it up and then it's like, yeah, then I take like a couple of Draconic, I take a generic and then all of a sudden there's no ninja coming through or all of a sudden there is a bunch of ninja coming through. Like that would be kind of my tip is, is have a plan and, and if you want to stay open, do it, but don't be afraid to hedge. Yeah, and we're in uh, we're in new territory here with two draconic heroes and one ice hero. Not into those yeah, specific cool. talents, but we have you know two heroes sharing a talent, and then one that is completely separate, right? So that's mm -hmm. that's a whole new landscape for draft and sort of trying to metagame those drafts. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what's going to be correct quite yet, but I do err on the side of what Hayden said, which is that. Icelander might be underdrafted because Jeremiah is just so interesting and fun and cool and dragons are awesome. And like, if you don't get your Jeremiah deck, ah, at least you got cards for five. And then there's just this sneaky Icelander sneaking around on that, uh, or getting passed around that draft pod. Abling. Yeah. Maybe the, the tactic is just like immediately go into like the ice and just cut it all off. Cut, cut, cut the Icelander off. I, I don't know. It, it's going to be interesting. This We've never had the, I mean, we've had three, hero set in terms of tales of aria for draft but we haven't had it where you like you say you have this split of talent for two heroes and then not for another so i don't that's what part of what i think is going to make this draft format just super awesome and make having plans and having draft strategies and responding to the table really really important um i can see drafts where you start with like four or five ice cards and then it turns out that like three people at the table are just like committed to to ice, right? They they're on that strategy, and all of a sudden you you move into a draconic, and then you move into a class from there. Like there's so many different paths you can take, and it's all about 
what's happening at the table. And like you say, if it's meta to stay open and go draconic, then all of a sudden like Iceland becomes a lot more appealing. So, and then that'll flip again, right? That'll flux again. So um, meta and draft is a, is a real thing. And I think this set's going to allow it to flourish, which is really cool. L- last thing I did want to say about draft, Brendan, is um, just pay attention to what's tabling and think about what's going to table. And when I say table, that means like what's going to wheel around the table. So what, what from the current pack you're looking at is going to come back to you. So let's say we're in pack three and uh, I'm firmly in... In you know, I'm firmly in Draconic. I'm in fire at this at this point, right? I open up the pack. There's a couple of really good Draconic cards, and there's some really good fire cards. Do you know that? And now I have a a, a a thing that's like, okay, what's the best card for my deck? And then also like, what is actually going to table here? Because if I take you know a really strong card, but then that maybe means that like I'm not going to actually get anything back from this pack. Is that the right decision? Sometimes it's correct to like take a, you know maybe a really strong Draconic card because there's three. Uh, ninja cards in the pack and you know one of them is definitely going to wheel like that there's this kind of idea of like wheeling around the table and i think it's important to try and as much as possible as you get into draft more is pay attention to what's kind of going around the table for multiple reasons but also um start with what you think will come back around yeah it's this there's a really funny dynamic here that happens as well as like what will table as you go pack to pack um i used to do this with (laughs) i used to do this with lexi with uh tabling my blues in pack three which is very risky by the way i don't recommend doing it but (laughs) basically because people usually wouldn't start in lexi or if they did um they might not you know they might be kind of in between lexi and briar there i could you could sometimes table like blue arrows and sort of fill out your resource curve at the last pack and then get you know, kind of premier choice on the first two. Um, that being said, is like you have this idea of like an idea, like a philosophy of how you're going to draft. And as soon as somebody else thinks that, the opposite strategy is now correct to just do the opposite of that. Yeah, yeah it's meta. That's what I'm saying. Like the meta for draft is for real. Like it's, it's, it's so true. Like it can change from draft to draft, from event to event. You know, like it, it does change. So yeah, I honestly cannot wait to draft the set. I just, yeah, can't wait. Um, let's look forward to Uprising specifically and talk a bit about, because we are, we're going to, of course, do our set review next week, but I do just want to talk about early thoughts. And as we head into the Uprising, give a few of our thoughts that might help some, some players playing at the Uprising world premiere this weekend. And, uh, of course we won't get as much time. We'll be focusing more on the cards themselves next week. So maybe kind of play styles and interactions and stuff we won't be touching on as much. So, um, the first thing I want to talk about is like, what's going to be important in the set, Brendan. And my first thing I have on this list is, is Draconic a second cycle limited talent? Now, hear me out before you give me your opinion, Brendan, okay? Because this set does look potentially, outside of five, of course, which looks super aggressive, it does look like for Dromai, you need to set some stuff up. But of course, with these red these red line decks, we're actively pitching cards to get our abilities, mm-hmm. right? So we're already pitching gas to the bottom of our deck. But that's something that we're doing. So it does seem to me like you know, if you can get back to second cycle because you are incentivized to pitch red cards that you can actively set up these really, really strong hands into the late game. I think this is where cards like Rupture are going to be really powerful uh, because you can actually know exactly what your chain link will look like as it's as opposed to early on where you can maybe sit in Arsenal, but you're kind of waiting for the right cards and that can be a little bit hard. Um, and you can know, you know, like, oh, I can plan out my Phoenix Flames, etc. Um, and then... Because yeah, just basically the powerful cards being your resources, like you yeah, can. You're getting ben- you're getting a benefit for it. Like uh, we used exactly. to do, we would do this in other sets, and you would have to actively like you know sometimes punt like a power card for later. We can investing. Turn. Yeah, I'd be investing for the the late game, but here it's just going to be natural to you, probably presenting, uh, you know, close to optimal damage on your reg- on your early turns anyway. So I think that you know now that I hear you say it like that, the theory, I'm with you. The execution. Theory. 
we're gonna have to see how that one, that we'll one comes out because you know sometimes that stuff can be overshadowed by just like overall power level right i agree yeah it's gonna be hard to see and i am a little bit worried that the speed of fire and stuff might mean that it's it's not as relevant but i think icelander is maybe the balance of all and where i think second cycle might actually come into play is the draconic versus icelander matchup that's where i'm really looking for it i think maybe in the draconic versus draconic maybe less so because you might not see second cycle it's about you know beating out the dragons before they take a hold or uh you know stopping the you know like beating out the chain links making forcing them to use their draconic chain links on your dragons or whatever it is that that's maybe what that looks like so um yeah i mean i'm getting a t-shirt printed that says second cycle is it a mean question mark because at this point that's what people tell me but you know no, they weren't around. They weren't around in the old days. They don't know. Yeah, so. Back when Flesh and so. Blood was a good game. No, I'm kidding. Flesh and Blood. Real Flesh. No, of course not. I'm so excited for where we're going with uh, with the direction of design. Um, but tell you what, if we get Second Cycle being impactful, I'll be even happier. Uh, how many resources to play in Draconic decks, uh, aka blues and yellows, outside of just your reds? I think this can be a really important question. Um, and yeah. I've thought about this a little bit this morning as I look over the set review, Brendan. Um, there are cards that still cost. Right, there are still turns where you're going to need two to three resources just looking at what uh, what your your deck does um, because some of like the cards that turn Ash into Aether Wings you know, cost or uh, you want to play multiple chain links, Draconic chain links, and some of these cards cost one and, and even some two. So some number of blues, some number of yellows. Yellows are really interesting to me. I'm not sure what this quite looks like. Yellow, to be honest, I can see like a pyramid coming with some of these. A pyramid. Sorry, a, um, what am I talking about? <laughs> a curve downward. A Ponzi. So you oh. have... Yeah, sure, why not? A curve downward. So you have a, a left to right, most reds, then yellows, then blues, uh, or in a slight inverse triangle where it's like, you know, it's uh, it's reds and then yellows and then slightly more blues than yellows. Um, I guess a non-equilateral. What's a, what's a non-equilateral triangle called? Oh, man. Excuse me? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, this is how far removed I am from school at this point and how off, how much I don't work with math or shapes in my job. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, that's what I can see. I think blues are going to be important. I'm thinking around like five to eight blues in these draconic decks is where my starting point is going to be. And But it's really going to depend on like my yellows and my cost base. So what I'm going to do at the Uprising World Premiere and first few like kind of limited events I play is go like, what does my turn look like? So, okay, I think my chain links are going to roughly look like this. I'm going to need two to three resources every game. Actually, I only need two resources with what most of these chain links look like. Um, uh, so I'm looking for mostly reds and yellows because, of course, you know, pitch a red most of the time, uh, especially for Dramai. And then if it's like, no, I've got some of these two cost finishes and stuff, then I'm looking more blues. Um, I will say I think it's going to be important to have your blues be low cost so that you can play them out and uh, especially if we think second cycles gonna be relevant get rid of them and if you do draw like multiple blues then of course you know that's more difficult or if you actually just want to pitch one red on a turn a zero cost blue can be really impactful to, to actually play out the card as opposed to have a dead card unless it blocks for three this topic of yellows is particularly interesting to me because i know that yellows um you know they're a part of rounding out that resource card and they're, they're going to change uh, sort of I don't know, the variable numbers you might need in red or blue. Like, uh, they, they do have an effect, right? But, you know, if I'm looking at Uprising, and let's say I had perfect choice of the cards, of what color card I could have, regardless of breakpoints, let's not think about, you know, a yellow that's for four, and, you know, maybe the red's for five, and it's like, it's pretty good value. Why would I want yellows? Because I feel like I want reds, right? I feel like I want reds to Injurconic, but at the same time, I feel like I would usually want a blue over a yellow because of things like Quell, because of things like Wizard existing in the site, so, you know, Frostbites, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So where do you see the yellow playing in there? That's I'm glad you asked that question, Brennan. Let me give you uh, basically the reason that I think yellows are going to be overlooked to start with and I think are going to be good in the set is that if you're wanting to pitch reds, 
for either late game or for Dramai's effect or whatever it is because you're playing so many reds. You want your card that you then play off of it. If it's not a red, to have impact and yellow has more impact than blue. That's basically my kind of small thesis right now and why I think that yellow is going to be really important in this limited format uh, but be quite overlooked is basically because of that. So if I have a, a one-cost yellow and it's the only card I'm like paying for this turn, I pitch a red to get the effect or whatever, I pitch a red to, to the bottom... You know, this is this is what I'm looking for. I don't want this to be a blue. I want this to be a yellow. Um, so it's offsetting some of, yes, you get less resource for it for maybe when you do want to use it, but some decks might not care about that as much, right? So it's it's this balancing act of the impact of the card itself and the the resource it has. It's it's pretty classic, right? Like, what? why do you want a blue in the deck? Why I need resources? Okay, what's the best blues I can play based on like mm. the power level? And then and yellow just comes to that equation as well. It's just about the amount of resources interesting yeah i feel like in the past i've often looked at yellows as like they were definitely the in-between like i would prefer the red most of the time um and i prefer the blue for resources and the yellow would be there as like you know if the yellow had a break point if the yellow was for four or if it had a relevant on hit trigger and it was playable but most yeah most of the time they were just playable so they came into my deck to to sort of fill it out um but that's an interesting concept as like the playable card on the first cycle of the, uh, of the deck as you pitch the red um to have more of an impact than something like a blue it's just particularly interesting to me, uh, and I we obviously we can't call it yet. I think there's way too many very way too many things that haven't been seen but yet. Me. But like whether or not you're going to actually side up blues when you play against something like Icelander, because you've got frostbites, you've got you know arcane yeah. damage coming. So maybe you side up yellows. Maybe you side maybe you side. Up, maybe you side up, the, yeah, like this is going to be the, the question, right? And it's really going to come down to your cost base in the deck. I think, like I said, like what does the average turn look like from a cost base perspective, and then work backwards. That's that's how I think you should always build decks in, in Flesh and Blood, especially in limited, but more so in this set. I think it's really important because you are trying to maximize the power level of some of these cards, especially because of the draconic talent and because the draconic. You like you know the draconic cards have high power level, so you want these cards in your deck. So every resource that you put in, is, you know, yellow or blue, bit is a maybe a draconic card being cut because we we only have red cards in draconic so the set inherently the way it's designed is balanced this way where there's there's more red cards in the set so what does this look like um and that's that's really interesting to me so we'll, we'll see what it looks like i think it's something to keep an eye on i don't think it's necessarily guaranteed um but i just think something to, to keep an eye on because you know you might have to play yellows for resources because you just don't have the blue count because of the amount of reds so we'll, we'll see how it come, uh, pans out i'm excited to, to play some some sealed and get into it um the phantasm effect something i want to talk about for uprising limited so it might look very difficult uh, very different to monarch in terms of you know it was all about heralds coming in um and phantasm attacks this time it's the it's the dragons and the ash wings that have the phantasm attached to them thanks to ash so it's very different uh we have looks like less a lot less poppers which makes sense yes. but sometimes popping these dragons is going to be very relevant you know think about the the ball lightning the six the six with one health one that deals three da arcane damage on hit like popping that with one card is going to be pretty huge so um and of course you know like even some of the ones that are harder to kill ovia killing that with just a, a, a popper a six attack might be really relevant um but it's not gonna on one hand it's very different to monarch and it's not going to maybe warp the format as much but on the other hand uh these things can get out of out of hand right and they do cost you chain links and they do cost you damage if you want to go ahead and kill three ash wings for instance maybe they got a little bit out of hand unless you're um you know like, how are you doing that well that's three separate sources of damage that you're gonna have to sort that out with yeah it's three action points I have it's not easy i have a theory with this set and uh phantasm poppers i think in limited um and obviously we've seen thaw i haven't seen the box break so i could be i could already sound like a fool but I think in limited, Unlikely. they will have less 
like there will not be that many poppers, right? In Monarch, it was it was a key theme. You would have you would want these in your deck if you didn't open any in your shield pool. You're like, well, I'm gonna have a really tough time against Prism. I think that the design of these these uh, these dragons in Limited is for them. Like, I think the intention will be for a lot of them to be killed via damage and not via being popped. Um, so I think we'll see significantly less poppers because there is this other way of dealing with them, right? Um, this more interactive way, I guess. I could be wrong, but uh, yeah. Well, there is one thing we did see in the box break is we actually saw, um, I've seen at least one Phantasm attack. So there's a Draconic Illusionist uh, attack, which is like, it's yellow that we saw. It's it's common, so I assume it's a cycle. Cost two, has seven attack, Phantasm, and has, uh, I think it's when it's destroyed, create an Ash token. So mm -hmm. quite quite a relevant ability there. So yeah, they are going to, these six attacks are going to be relevant. We have seen some of them. There's a really cool card. Oh, I can't remember what it's called. From it's called Fiendale's Fighting Spirit. Looks pretty cool. It's uh, um, I've only seen the yellow version so far, but of course there'll be a cycle. It's a common. It's a three cost, two defense, six attack at yellow, and it says when you attack or defend with Fiendale's Fighting Spirit, if you have less life than an opposing hero, gain a life. Uh, so it's like the inverse of um, like some of the cards like Wounding Blow, I guess, or not not the inverse directly, but very similar in terms of getting plus attack or losing life if it deals damage. So um, yeah, I think that card's pretty cool. So there is some poppers out there, and it looks like we've got some Phantasm attacks that we saw this morning. So. Yeah, for the Phantasm effect. It's going to be very different to Monarch, but it's still going to be relevant and things can get out of hand. Um, how good are allies, Brendan? I think that's well, a, that's an important question when you're trying to determine like the, the strength of this format, the speed, the power level. Like, How good are allies, actually? And I think it's really... Before you answer the question directly, I think it's important to just consider a few things, right? You know, it costs you an actual point right in yeah. terms of like you have to have go again it's not the same as when you break a spectra of course like it's you know you get the go again but you do need to have go again in the first place uh and then you need the damage and sometimes you're going to lose damage on that if you're trying to kill ash wings or ones that have one life and you're spending an attack that has three or four damage uh that's really difficult especially in this format where we don't have you know you don't have kadachis when you fire you have the the dragon weapon a draconic weapon and if you're you know icelander maybe it's costing you a whole action point to, to take care of one little ally yeah for sure um so i haven't i could there could be more dragons uh right but i don't think i've seen any dragons at common I've seen that rare so there will be prevalent but not rare. overwhelming i don't think there will be limited decks that outside of draft maybe in draft that are centered around like just kind of creating dragons i do think that there's going to be a balance though where there will be some players that fall into the trap of trying to develop uh, a dragon and develop a board state while they're kind of just getting aggroed down, right? And the you know the opposing players just gonna ignore it anyway. Um, are they good? Absolutely. Permanents are incredible in flesh and blood, especially if you can get them early. Um, and these, the dragons look powerful at the same time. But yeah, I think that you know something like Phi could potentially just kind of exploit it. Yeah, could be the counter, right? Might be hard for Iceland to deal with, but maybe not so much on the other side where you know you do have these. It's the it's the ash wings for me that might be the problematic ones because it's like do I want to spend an action point on a card yeah. to kill that? That's an interesting one. Yeah. Um, my last kind of thing, and I guess this uprising, looking forward to what's important in the set is generics actually look pretty good from what we've seen so far. Of course, there's the equipment. Um, we just talked about a couple of the the cards specifically, but what I just kind of saw this morning is that yeah, some of the generics look look pretty reasonable. Um, there was one I was looking at before, Sift, which is. I uh, saw so the yellow version, zero cost, three defense, non-attack action that says put up to three, three, the resolution's not great on these, three cards from your hand on the bottom of your deck, then draw that many cards. Uh, seems kind of interesting because it's like, well, you you know, you, you use a card to lose it, but if we do think that like something like second cycle is important, that card's really interesting, um, can dig you to stuff, and then of course it does just defend three and can be resources uh, and 
that might be relevant. So yeah, the, the generics are really interesting. I'm, I think from what I've seen so far, they look good. Um, like there's some that allow for extra defense. Like there's a card called Flex, which is like when you attack or defend with Flex, you can pay uh, plus two. And if you do it, gains plus two attack. And the reds four attacks, so you can make it into a, a popper for Phantasm or it's just mm, an extra attack. That's very good. Um, you know, if you've got the extra resources to sink into it. Like I really like some of these these kind of effects. So yeah. I want to finish kind of through this, I guess, what are we calling it? The approaching new limited format. And when we're talking about Uprising specifically by just talking about the hero styles and some of the things that we think are going to be relevant. We've kind of already alluded to a lot of them. Let's kind of tie them up. Let's talk about Dramai first. I think if I'm talking about Dramai and what I'm thinking initially, the patterns um, of of play for me that look like pitching a red to play a, a transform to transform my Aether, um, sorry, my Ash into something, hopefully a dragon, or maybe it's an Aether Ash Wing with some of the non-attack actions we have. Attack with go again with either an attack or the um, ally itself. And then either, you know, attack with the ally after the go again attack, or maybe you don't have a go again attack and it's like the ally has go again, you attack, and then you attack with just a good damage spell, a good damage attack afterwards. And that's kind of what I think is going to be the general base game plan for Jeremiah. And I think you're going to kind of adapt and change from that. But I think in week one, that's what I'm expecting the most kind of play pattern wise to see out of Jeremiah. Yeah. There's a, I just want to quickly mention, I think that like looking at this, looking at the set from like 10,000 feet, it does look like there's a bit of a li like limited triangle via design. It looks like, you know, Jermai beats Icelander, Icelander beats Phi, um, and Phi beats Jermai. I think that that is like, there's a uh, kind of a, like a, a foundational theme there, right? Um, as sort of balance. Will that be how it actually plays out? Uh, probably not, <laughs> but still, uh, just keep it in mind, you know, when picking your deck sort of, I think, I think that they have intentionally made that a triangle as if possible yeah yeah potentially but i think there's also play within that because of what draconic does because of course of course yeah lest we forget like uh so the the aether ash wings themselves actually have arcane barrier right mm -hmm. like i'm not making that up i'm not just no it's correct that. Yeah. No, they have arcane barrier so that's really interesting right like the more of those you actually get on board um the more they have so like of course i said they can play attacks and it's not like they can't play attacks to, to deal with these allies but you know that if you're on the ally route with with um Dromai, maybe as opposed to i don't know like more draconic cards and just more attacks it's gonna be really interesting like how many of these can you reliably make um it's gonna be yeah i think there's gonna be different archetypes which i want to dive into at some point but first of all i need to see the whole set i yeah, guess yeah. it's gonna be interesting because they can Dromai can also play draconic right like and does care about chain links it can still play cards with rupture etc so um yeah interesting to see what that kind of means what about what about fi so I think five, of course, Phoenix Flames can be really important, of course. How many Phoenix Flames to play is a really interesting question. As we said before, is it two to three? Is it one to two? Is it always three? It, I think it's going to be really interesting. My default is probably going to be to play two to three, probably three, um, depending on the other cards that I have around it. And then I think it's going to be about, like the, the game plan is going to be about recycling those. Obviously, there's cards that allow you to pull them back to your hand. That's the, you know, the hero ability, of course, and gets cheaper with Draconic. Um, and then... I really think it is going to be a lot of like pitching some of this red gas early because of the the cost structure of your deck and the structure of just how many reds you have. And then you are often going to get through to second cycle, I think. And it's going to be on second cycle where you can do things like rupture, where you can have the payoff, the really big payoff cards for fire with like the on-hit effects and the draconic links. That's where I, I really see it. But then also I think first cycle is about utilizing Arsenal, getting back some of these um, Phoenix Flames as much as possible and just kind of utilizing just pure damage. Yeah, it does seem like it does look like the the premier 
aggro deck of uh of limited so yeah yep lastly your uh your favorite icelander <laughs> which you, you did say like you you would main if there was an out hero so um it's I've interesting balance i think like you say. my career <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not new for brendan um <laughs> interesting balance like you say right with the the two draconics and an icelander like where does this happen is Icelander just because of the purest form of it actually going to be quite powerful? Like you have access to all these ice cards and you can like really just basically where I see this early on is you're just trying to disrupt as much as possible. Just trying to kill the chain links, try to kill the ability for uh, a Dramai to make a dragon and attack with that plus something else. You really want to limit that and then you want to be able to maybe like clear out the dragon with an attack on your turn, play arcane damage on their turn. Like maybe that's what the the play style looks like. I kind of thought through like maybe what some lines for Islander, Icelander looks like. Um, it could be like, you know, four card hand, no arsenal. You defend with one card, you pitch and fuse something, deal damage and lock down maybe the arsenal on the draconic side. Uh, and then you put that blue that you just revealed into your arsenal. And then the next chain cycle might be like, okay, well, I play this on your turn to deal some damage or, or clear something up and then, um, you know, block with a card. Then on my turn, I'm like coming with an attack to kill a, a dragon or something. So I think Icelander actually has a lot of play to it. It's going to be really interesting and limited. Um, I think Icelander is of the three heroes the more first cycle orientated hero I think because you don't have all these reds you're pitching you're going to be pitching more blues and stuff like that which obviously feels like you know Draconic potentially as the game goes on gets stronger with the deck density you uh, more traditional flesh and blood I think going the other way yeah I mean I, I think that like Icelander in particular is one where we really just need to see the rest of the cards like how much how much can we utilize her ability in the arsenal and what does it look like because it does have that sort of foundational wizard concept um which i guess is just a kano concept where you know you can play you play on your turn for most of the game and then it sort of at some point in the game or technically at any point in the game you can just like cheat the second turn cycle and play a threat on their turn as well um and once if you're able to open up a window via your turn you can do that when they sort of have their you know shields down on their turn right so yeah. i feel like it's going to be sort of like tempo oriented like that i, I don't know icelander just it's always sort of um it spoke to me like that that was sort of a, a play style for it yeah we, weirdly so far this format from what i've seen and what i think the play style is going to look like reminds me more of like welcome to wraith in terms of like this tempo based format where you're looking at hand cycles and what you're trying to do maybe once you get into mid early late game as opposed to just trying to do one thing and, and do it quickly or um set up very specific game states i think there's a lot more about setting up different game states through the game and and trying to find spots where you can swing tempo so maybe similar to monarch in that regard as well in some ways but i think yeah like somewhere between welcome to Wraith and monarch might be how this set plays out just in terms of like how how important tempo is and um what the game looks like because tales very like tempo was important but for different reasons it was like once you take tempo it's like very hard to lose it or on the flip side very once you lose it very hard to get it back and then the game can just kind of be over in two turns yeah, um, I'm particularly interested to see what the Premier Fatigue deck looks like. I think that those, the, whatever that deck is, whatever it becomes, it's like a very e equalizing force in the format. Um, mm -hmm. You know, particularly we had, of course, Oldham <laughs> most recently, but even even Prism was played to like that way to an extent back in Monarch. I don't think it was as sure. effective. And then Arcane Rising, it was quite rife. But, you know, Welcome to Wraith, we had the powerful weapons. Basically made that not as much of a strategy. It looks like we do have, I mean, you know, Fi does have a weapon um, that is going to attack for three. So uh, we'll see on that end, but that's really what I'm holding my breath for is like what is going to be like, the premier fatigue strategy what can you if you know if you do get blessed by the draft gods and you can just draft 40 cards 40 playable cards um what does it look like yeah what will that look like
Yeah, interested. Uh, any kind of thoughts on, I guess we kind of talked through this already, like what we think sealed and draft are going to look like. I think the only thing I could say is maybe draft is going to look faster than sealed. I think that's usually the case. Of course, you just, you're able to pull things together more. But the one thing that might kind of throw the spanner in the works with this set is that you do have this one ice hero and it's it's got things like freeze. It's got a lot more impact, I think, than maybe even just plain frostbites from Ultim had previously. And we already saw how Ultim could slow down a format. So yeah, really interested to see the difference between sealed and draft. I don't really have too many thoughts about it right now until I get in and play the set though. Yeah, and then just like final tips, which is kind of we'll be kind of reiterating is like how to approach your first event or approach mm-hmm. the world premiere. Um, win cons, understanding how you're going to win the game, how you're going to actually reduce the opponent's life total to zero. Um, sort of don't play pile. I don't think you should ever play pile at these events. Um, it's going to be very attractive sometimes because you know, maybe the cards are a bit more complicated. You don't know them all yet. Or it's just like, oh, I can just punish somebody who doesn't have a game plan. I think that building a cohesive deck with most sealed pools and in most formats is a reasonable thing to do. And Tales of Aria, I thought it was quite effective. Uh, Monarch, even more so. And I think that, you know, like these heroes look very synergistic, like Fi and uh, Jermai in particular. We'll see what Icelander looks like, but I, I think that, you know, running sort of a minimum card deck or maybe 32 cards or whatever it is, is going to be the effective strategy. Yeah. I mean, like I say, I think second cycles will be relevant. I think there's enough power in these cards that you can really stack up a really strong second cycle. So I think it's going to be really hard to play pile or fatigue. I mean, I wouldn't say it's impossible and I don't know what it could look like. If I was to hazard a guess at what it might look like, it might be Dramai with, you know, ward effects on Ash Wings and this ability to like use an ally to kind of pressure the opponent's life total and force them to spend cards on the allies as opposed to spending them on attacking your life total directly. That might be what I anticipate it to look like, but uh, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. In terms of like just on top of that, like last kind of few things to remember, I just want to talk a little bit about like kind of my approach for, for tomorrow, what I'm looking at, um, I guess on today depending on where you are in the world when when this drops but i'm just looking to open my cards look for powerful interactions the win conditions as i say first and and just kind of build around those those two things and um given the unknown nature of the format i think i'll think about second cycle but i'm not going to focus on it like i said that's something that i think might come down the track um and i mean i would prefer to play draconic i think it's more interesting for me but you know i'll play icelander in in a pinch tomorrow if need be absolutely wanna take us on to the google review brennan that's that's it for i guess this approaching a new limited format pod our kind of preview to uprising as we head towards our full limited set review next week which of course we're always excited to do and brings a robust discussion and some interesting grades so we'll be we'll be back with that next week but until then brennan take us into the google review and we'll, we'll sign off for the week all right so this week's google review comes from ken tud 2 again these names scare me <laughs> um but he said but they say how do you say you have the guts? Uh, how do you say you have the guts with the sauce sprinkled with the spice? You bring three Kano decks to the Pro Tour. Do you want to hear tips and tricks? This pod is for you. Do you want to know what heroes are owning in the meta? This pod is for you. Do you? <laughs> there's, sorry, there's a question mark there. Do you want to know how to battle jet? How do you, do you? Do you want to know how to battle jet lag? This pod is definitely not for you. Hayden is a freak of nature. No, I didn't say it. it's a pod for you. Everything, everything, uh, everything, flesh and blood. Uh, when you can't get enough of it is in this podcast. This is a must listen for any fab player from casual to pro. There are even tips on how to dye your hair and they're somewhere. All right. Thank you, Cantud. Um, yeah, the jet lag, I honestly, I, I've said it before on the pod, I'll say it again. I can't recommend getting your advice. Um, I'd recommend getting your advice anywhere else because Hayden, he's a freak of nature. The man can just not Ooh. sleep. 
Yeah, it's but, true. But You're wild. Yeah, a little bit, but also I think I, I prep myself really well. Like I, I start to think about that time, maybe like one or two days before I travel. And as soon as I get in that plane, like I'm on that time zone. That's just that's just how it is. I change my watch. Like I'm on that time zone. Make sure yeah. I try. And even if I can't, I can't really sleep on a plane, but I just like I try when it's time that I should sleep. But your anyway. So your validity kind of just went out the window after New York when you got delayed on your flight after not getting sleep and then got delayed and delayed and delayed. And I think you like virtually didn't sleep for like, two three days i don't even know I and then died. i went to work and then i dropped on for testing that yeah night. i would have did <laughs> while well hey why don't you um, tell them how to uh how to get the review featured on the podcast it's please rate this podcast.com forward slash arsenal pass if you want to leave us a review for the podcast not only of course can you get your review read out but they do help us a lot uh they help us get of course like the kind of the algorithm up and um get us noticed and just get the podcast out to more flesh and blood lovers which is what we're what we're trying to do um always brendan that's kind of it for the week you know good luck this weekend in vegas madrid sydney wherever you may be going of course brendan good luck to you in vegas and the team looking forward to seeing how all of us go enjoy the uprising world premiere if you're playing and if not and you're just going to be kind of watching from a distance at home enjoy the pre-release week next weekend if you get to it cracking boxes the week after and uh yeah i think this set is i'm super fizzing not just for the limited format but i think constructors gonna be interesting but i think uh I don't want to speak too soon. I don't want to. I don't want to ruin it. But I think Alexis have knocked it out of the park with this one. Um, there's some some amazing stuff here, and and uh, things like the art just continue to get better and better. So yeah, if you want to find us on uh, on Twitter, you can. Brendan is at Brendan APG. I'm at Fian underscore Dale. We are in Fab Twitter. We talk all things there. Share deck lists. I'll be sharing updates over the weekend and some photos and stuff. So before be sure to drop by if you're interested. Uh, you can find us on YouTube, of course. We have the Arsenal Pass YouTube channel where we put up deck techs, gameplays, which we'll be getting back to soon. Uh, limited videos, kind of reviews of uh, limited sets, and of course that's next week. And then just you know, like tips and tricks videos, things that kind of come out of the cycle that we want to put up that can kind of help with your flesh and blood game. And then of course, big thank you to all of our patrons. Uh, our Patreon page has all of our deck guides when we put up those deck techs, you know, full cyborg plans, etc. As well as our monthly additional podcast, uh, which we just actually did on the Blitz kind of format and the team calling, and we did a bit of a video format this time. Uh, you can find all that good stuff up on patreon.com forward slash Arsenal Pass. But until next week, Brendan, enjoy Uprising and uh, see you next. Enjoy.